Hello, and welcome back to our next episode of New Work in Intellectual History. My name is Selma Sondern, and I'm a master's student of intellectual history at the University of St. Andrews. Today, I continue my conversation with Dr. Montserrat Herrero about a comparative perspective on the political thought of Carl Schmitt, John Locke, and Thomas Hobbes, this time with a special focus on the method of political theology. As a reminder, Montserrat is a professor of political philosophy at the University of Navarra in Spain, as well as editor of the journal Anuario Filosofico. Montserrat's research is in the realm of political theology, philosophy and theory of history, history of political ideas and political philosophy. She published a monograph in 2015 with Roman and Littlefield publishers entitled The Political Discourse of Carl Schmidt, A Mystic of Order, which attempts to offer a wide-ranging discussion of Schmidt's discourse beyond a focus on specific elements or themes within his text. Two more of her monographs focus on the writings of John Locke and Thomas Hobbes, respectively. Welcome back, Montserrat. Oh, thank you very much, Selma. So first of all, I know it's a difficult question, but I wanted to know what is your take on political theology? What is political theology? Okay, so by political theology in the broad sense, I mean, or I understand the study of the transfer of meanings, narratives, disputes that take place between the sphere of the religious and the sphere of the political, especially the study of the political use of sacred narratives, images, motives, ritual and, litur and liturgical forms. So Kashmir used the term political theology in 1922, and then uh, he proposed a field of a study in which in order to properly understand political or juridical concepts with their vast significance in modern contexts, it was necessary to establish systematic analogies between the political and the theological or religious spheres. This fundamental thesis of political theology is accompanied in his work by the thesis of secularization. That is the idea that all concepts of modern state theory are secularized theological concepts. I'm not so much convinced about this second thesis. So thus academically shaped and disseminated, this concept, this Schmittian concept has been used in research to refer to transfers between the secular and the spiritual throughout history. So political theology has been practiced in the field of political and legal philosophy by many of our contemporaries, as reflected in the publications of, for example, the journal Political Theology in the, in the United States. So, but also in the field of theology, as for example, in the case of Henri de Lubac, or in the field of history, as in the case of Ernst Kantorowicz, who was, I mean, we don't know if he was or not influenced by Carl Schmitt, but in any case, he practiced mm. incredible, interesting in his books, these political theological motives. So today we can consider political theology like in a broad sense, in very broad sense, as a critical discourse in the humanities that is widely, widely used in the academic world. 
Yeah, and you just said that, well, practically political theology um, was a concept to talk about the modern state, but um, I would like to take it back to the early modern period and, and ask you, do you think that the method of political theology can also be found in Hobbes and Locke and how is political theology constructed in both? Exactly. In my, in my view, uh, so political theology also can, has been practiced in early modernity and also in Middle Ages and also even in, in ancient times. But, but okay, in different ways, that is, that is the thing. No? In the case of Hobbes and Locke, the interesting thing is that they practice it through the interpretation of scripture. Mm -hmm. so as I wrote in my article on the philosophical Bible and the secular state, most scholars see Hobbes, Spinoza and Locke as the philosophical founders of the modern secular state, early modern secular state. However, the modern state was the result of the philosophical interpretation of the scriptures. In which sense? So, these enlightened philosophers sought to undermine the power of the churches and claim greater freedoms for the state by appropriating a particular interpretation of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And this is really incredible. So, you, it's, it's incredible to see how, how Hobbes, Locke, and Spinoza written so many pages inter interpreting the sacred scripture. For me, it was really funny, no? Mm. <laughs> and yeah, you just you just mentioned uh, that you also include Spinoza in, in that uh, research, that more recent research. Um, you said that he counts also as one of the founders of the early modern secular state. Is that why you chose to include Spinoza on the side of early modern thinkers of political theology? Yeah, he, so he was actually one of the first to use the expression in his political theological treatise, mm -hmm. 1670. So the, really the aim of Spinoza's treatise or the reformation of the understanding, one of the most uh, important books of Spinoza was already practical. He began in he began that book in 1662. It was probably the first work he wanted to develop, but in the end, it was left unfinished because the, of the urgency of writing his political theological treatise. Spinoza was urged to free the state from the religious confessions and the individual from the power of the churches in order to legitimize Jan de Witt's policy in Holland against the tyranny of the House of Orange and the theocracy of the Calvinists. So this text, this text is a classic that influenced the entire scriptural movement of the following centuries. It is in fact a treatise on the interpretation of the, scripture, of, of the scriptures that seeks to unite political and religious power in the figure of the civil magistrate. Always, of course, while preserving what he called the libertas philosophy. But yes, he was one of the, of the most important. Okay, um, I want to also come back to that point of interpreting scripture later. Um, first, I wanted to know how does the freedom of the state differ from freedom of the citizens? Um, what's the distinction here, particularly in Hobbes and Spinoza? 
And does Locke share a different view and how does he differ? Hmm. So using Isaiah Berlin's now classic distinction between positive and negative liberty, we can say that the state has achieved a broad positive liberty to do what, it, what is necessary for the peace or for the salus publica, while the individual has liberty in modern state only in what is not commanded by the state law or by an act law. And this is especially explicit in Hobbes' approach because the state is above the law. Whoever can suspend the law is above the law, he would say. So Spinoza thinks that even if for the sake of peace and security, the right to one's own liberty has to be given up in general, there is always a part of that right that is reserved to the individual, which is in particular the right to, the right to judge and express oneself opinions in private about what one gets to be true or false, good or bad. The most violent government is one in which opinions, which are everyone's right, and which no one should ever give up, are treated as a crime. Freedom of judgment should not be handed over to the state power. The democratic state that prohibits freedom of judgment would also become tyrannical. In democracy, indeed, every individual gives up his right to act by the sole decision of his soul in order to live in peace, but he does not give up, give, give up his right to reason and judge. So, as I have already pointed out, Locke's approach leaves more room for the positive liberty of individuals insofar as it limits the power of the state over property. This is why he admits resistance to civil power on occasion, particularly when civil power assaults property. But there are also glimpses of exceptional power, political powers, as in the case of the prerogative, that is the power to act at will for the public good without doing so in accordance with the law and even contrary to the law in certain cases. In other words, in the political configuration of the modern state tends to be greater, the liberty of the state tends to be greater that, uh, than that of the, of the individuals or smallest, smallest communities. So in this sense, the state had this positive liberty to do whatever he needs. So mm. that's... Yeah. And next, I want to kind of make the jump into the modern state. Uh, you started um, your definition by referring to Carl Schmidt's work of 1922. What role does the method of political theology play in Schmidt? So in my opinion, it is a method for the deep understanding of political concepts. So in that sense, Schmidt does both legal theory and political theory, as well as intellectual history also. So he likes very much to trace significant, significant, excuse me, he likes to trace significant genealogies. And that is basically political theory. Already in his 1921 book on dictatorship, he traces Sotoboche, a genealogy of the idea of the constituent power of the people there, at least, he already establishes two theological political analogies, that of the plenitudo potestatis of the Pope, 
which is transferred to the extraordinary powers of the magistrates, which the literature of the arcana um, configured, and the idea of the general will of God in Descartes and Malebranche, which is transferred to the idea of the Augustonian general will. So he, trade, he, he writes this kind of genealogies connecting different concepts from one epoch to another, from one field to another. I think this is the way in which he operates mm. um, uh, in, this, in this field of political th theology. So the same is true of the analogy between the miracle and the exception, which he makes in the book Political Theology, or the analogy between the acclamations in the church and in the political sphere, which appears in the theory of the constitution or in the book about referendum and petition for a referendum. So, and Schmidt's entire over is his entire work is full of such analogies. I have limited myself to highlighting some of them in the last chapter of my book on the political discourse of Carl Schmidt, but more can be found. What I find impoverishing sometimes in the reception of Carl Schmidt is uh, that people think that in Schmidt there is only a political theology of sovereignty. Mm. I mean, for me, the methodology implies that you can look for different genealogies. And this is this isn't interesting in my view, because it's a way to explore in the text that we have. You know? And this is something that is, um, is new, is uh, it's, uh, like a, a, another possibility to read the text in another way. You know? That is interesting. Mm. Before you said that one of the most surprising things for you in the early modern thinkers was that most of their work or, or a lot of their work was interpretation of scripture. And now with Schmidt, you talked a lot about genealogy. So um, I was wondering what is the difference of the political theology of Hobbes, Spinoza, and Locke on the one side, and then Schmidt on the other. Are there also similarities between them? So I think that they are similar, that they transfer meanings from one sphere, the theological, to another, the juridical, political, and sometimes uh, vice versa, vice versa, from the juridical to the theological. That this, this gesture is important also in, the, in history. So, But they differ because Schmidt establishes genealogies of theological and political concepts as they have been considered in the sphere of metaphysics or natural theology, but he does not claim to be a theologian. So mm. in fact, this is one of the things he reproaches, for example, to Donato Cortés for, in some of his letters, he points out that he is not a theologian, nor is he inter interested in being one nor does he rely on theology to legitimize political actions. However, Hobbes, Spinoza, and Locke, they act as theologians insofar as they defend a certain interpretation of the scripture, which they consider to be true. So that is what I coined the expression, the philosophical Bible, to refer to their interpretations, because they claim to be true, the interpretation of the scriptures they, they, they made. They made. So, I mean, they act as, a theolo as theologians more than Kashmir. <laughs> Let me come back to that in a bit. Um, 
before I would like to kind of take this trajectory further from early modern over Carl Schmitt to a more post-structuralist perspective. Um, can you tell us how the political theology is taken up in post-structuralist philosophy? How does it, for instance, differ from Schmitt's account? So post-structuralist philosophy has made Schmitt's thesis grow spectacularly without worrying, of course, about its fidelity or infidelity to him a wise thing to do in my view. <laughs> I am thinking, for example, of Foucault's genealogy of confession in the Gouvernement de Vivant, or Derrida's de, de forgiveness as a true theological political site, or Agamben's paradigm of political economy, or Nancy's a theology. So for me, what is interesting about these views is that they have realized that linguistic registers are not divided by disciplines and that the use of language is always at the same time theological, philosophical, historical, literary, and so on. So hence they have no problem in incorporating theological tropes into their discourses. Mm. And this is very fruitful when it comes to thinking and so and also to making intellectual history. So this is different as in the case of Carl Schmitt, I mean, it's another, another moment for political theology. Hmm. I think that perhaps they took the, the idea from Carl Schmitt, but now it's other, other kinds of, 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 of research. Yeah. So it seems that there's a great degree of difference um, to what extent the different thinkers act as theologians or incorporate, as you said, theological tropes into their political views. Um, I stumbled upon something that you wrote that I wanted to ask about. What do you mean by the sacralization of the political? Yes, it's very shocking, this expression. So. The secularization of the Christian religion and the sacralization of politics were correlative historical processes, in my view. But in neither case was there a complete sec secularization of the political, as is often assumed. So the supposed secularization translated into the appropriation of religion by the political sphere, whereby the political was seen as absolute or unavailable and relativized other doctrines as private, including religion and churches, for example, as did Locke in the writings on toleration. So because there is the political reason, the political way of reasoning becomes the public way, the public way of reasoning. And then the other ways, for example, the religious ones, for example, uh, become private. So the political magistrate thus became the supreme authority in all matters relating to religion. Political reason became sacred in the sense of untouchable or even dogmatic because it is what is considered public, publicly the truth in a sense. So there is some political dogmas. In that sense, I think that the political reason is sacralized. Hmm. Nobody can discuss that reason. Yeah. 
reason in the sense of see reason of a state the reason of a state in that moment in the early in the early uh, political history uh, see intellectual history of early modernity there is this expression reason the reason of the state hmm. it's on the top so the, 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 this means that uh, I mean there is a political reason acting and also judging other possible arguments or the possible reasons, for example, the religious ones. No? In this, in that sense, it's sacralized. Hmm. Okay, it's that's that's very interesting, and it kind of relates to a different aspect that I wanted to ask about. I read about this concept in of theological political place and um, was meaning to ask, what do you mean when you consider sacred scripture in particular um, a theological political place? Also, have you found any other such places um, in the political sphere? So looking at the theological political practices of these early modern writers, I realized that sacred scripture is a very easy medium to politicize, to politicize. So I discovered that other scholars had also noticed this, both for modern age and of, and of course, o sea, for early modernity and of course for the Middle Ages. So, but in addition, in our days, there is a radical, for example, a radical political theology. So it calls itself which tries to legitimize democracy as one of the names of God. And for, this, uh, and for this, it also tries to do an exegesis, exegesis of scripture. So Derrida's grammatology has helped me to think about why this kind of political action on a text like sacred scripture is possible. But also it is not the only theological political figure. In the book I'm finishing now, on theological political figures, I'm also thinking of, of others such as prophecy, oath, charisma, or hospitality. So this, these are places where there is something that is important for the political community, but at the same time transcends the political community, community and has a religious sense. So the religious meaning, excuse me, a religious meaning. So in that sense, um, uh, you have there the political theological problem. But in this case, it's, it's more in an institutional way, more than in a genealogical size. In this, in, in, um, so in these cases, we see political theology in a different, uh, it's a different kind of political theology as that of the, the geneal genealogical discourses or narratives to, to mm -hmm. the Carl Schmitt. No? It's, it's a different way to understand political theology is that it's like to look into places, as you have seen, in which the immanent character of the political and the transcendent character of the religious so meat or hmm. mix could be something like that. So this is really a fascinating field. And I can see how, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, uh, I, I suppose. Um, we do not have hours, unfortunately. So um, that's it for today. And I want to thank you, Montserrat, for your insights and this really interesting comparison 
um, both of the construction of absolute power and the method of political theology in Schmidt, Locke and Hobbes, and then also in Spinoza. Um, it has been really fantastic to have your perspective on the podcast. I hope to hear more from you. And until next time. Thank you very much, Selma. It was great.